You're with Cheryl Lee, that radio chick. Welcome to the Still Rocking It podcast, where we'll have news, reviews and interviews with some of our favourite Australian musicians and artists. Today we chat to 76-year-old South Australian Music Hall of Fame inductee John Bywaters, crediting music for keeping him young. We chat about when the Twilights were bigger than the Beatles, playing at Liverpool's legendary Cavern Club and recording at iconic Abbey Road Studios. He shares his memories of making the TV pilot for Once Upon a Twilight with Mary Hardy and Ronnie Burns. What's John Bywaters up to now? Let's find out. I'd like to welcome into the studio today, John Bywaters from the Twilights. I've got here that he's 77. I don't believe that's true, John. Have you discovered the fountain of youth? (laughs) Get out of it. I'm not quite 77. I won't be till December the 10th if you want to give me a present or something. You don't look a day over 60. That's fantastic uh, for you to say that. What's the secret? Well, it's no secret. Rock and roll does that for you. I mean, I'm still playing in rock bands, and I think that's what keeps you young. I honestly do. I absolutely agree with you. I've always said that rock and roll, or music in general, keeps you young. Absolutely. 1964 to 69, the Twilights. Hey, you guys were bigger than the Beatles. Well, we like to think so, (laughs) but the passage of time sort of made us legends, you know. All these stories I've heard about the twilight i'm thinking that's not quite true but it's what people think of us you know all the stories about us playing sergeant peppers track for track well that is true yeah or they did tell the beatles they couldn't play them live and they didn't ever attempt that but nobody told us you're not supposed to be able to play these things live didn't worry us we just did it and i think we did a pretty fair job of anything that we attempted actually your reputation does precede you you were all fabulous musicians and alongside another adelaide band formed at the time, the Masters Apprentices, you were considered one of the most significant Australian rock groups of the 60s. I've always said that all the best bands come out of Adelaide, so let's start at the very, very beginning. But first, let's hear that song, Needle in a Haystack. Back with the bass player from the Twilights. You're with Cheryl Lee, that radio chick. Like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Yeah, I'm there. A needle in a haystack. Did you always know, John, that you were going to be a bass player in a band? I might just tell you how I started playing music. I was in the St John's Amherst Cadets and then I joined the St John's Amherst Cadet Drum Corps and I played a tenor drum. There were no instruments apart from drums. There was bass drum, a couple of tenor drums and then side drums and we used to march. We'd do John Martin's pageant and things like that and we hang around as a group and somebody invited us to a fancy dress party which was at Kevin Creaser's house down Mile End somewhere. Saturday night, everybody was supposed to dress up, and we said, what can we go as? And we <laughs> went as a beatnik band, because beatniks were all the rage then. Hey, man, you know, Peter Gum was uh, on the television, you know, Brothers Go to Mothers, <laughs> and Mothers was the club, and it was full of beatniks. So we made out we're a beatnik band, and I found a T-chest bass somewhere. I'd never played an instrument up to that point. Now, I'm not going to call a T-chest bass an instrument, but it is per se. Somebody was learning trumpet, they brought that. Somebody was learning piano accordion, and they came along. We might have done one or two instrumentals. Anyway, we won it. We got some little prizes, you know, nothing extravagant. We were really chuffed, and people came up and said, you're a great band, you know. Well, we were making out, actually. (laughs) 
the next time we got together as a group, somebody said, why don't we form a band? And I said, yeah, I might go and buy a guitar. And I conned my parents the next week, went to Cawthorns in Rundle Street. It was a street then, not a mall. Bought a guitar, had a lesson that very same day up in Gay's Arcade, got a guitar book. Then I went home and started to practice. Now, that must have taken perhaps a year or so. My friends would come around, they'd say, do you want to go down to the beach today or kick the footy? I'd say, no, I'm going to practice my guitar. I went to a dance at Clemsig at the shed where the Gazer Football Club is. Yeah. They used to have Johnny Mack and the Mack Men was one of the bands. Used to go there and just sort of watch the band and look at the bass player, Billy Pfeiffer, and sort of marvel at what he was doing. And there was a guy standing next to me down the front of the stage and he said, what do you do? I said, oh, I'm learning guitar. He just said, do you want to join a band? His name was Dean Burbeck. He was a drummer. Turned out that there was another guitarist called Ivan that he had, and we were a trio. We did one job, I think, and then I was asked to join another band called the Deltas, who then changed their name very promptly to the 707s, named after the large passenger aeroplane at the time. We played around, did a few gigs, and I was playing rhythm guitar, but we had no bass player. The guy that did start to play bass, he left. He had a double bass and he didn't keep it up. No bass. And I missed the bass. You know, I'm thinking, something's missing here. Mm, it needs it. It needs bass. So I tried to play bass lines on the guitar and that didn't cut it. And I thought, I'm going to buy a bass. So I went and bought a Tiesco rhythm beat bass. Used to plug into the Lee Guitarist amplifier and blow the speakers up, by the way. And eventually I got my own amplifier. The band was sort of whole then. Then I was headhunted to a band called the Telstars, who were a better band. Now, what happens in this industry, Darwin's theory of evolution, you evolve going to better bands. People see you and they say, well, I think you'd be good for our band. So I joined the Telstars and they had some good instrumentalists, Dave Lewis on lead guitar, Bob Huxtable on drums, Tom Joy was the vocalist. We used to work around the clubs. We used to work at the uh, Beat Basement um, down the end of Rundle Street there. It was there that two of the members of the Hurricanes came to see me, Peter Brightoak and Kevin Peake. They said they had a band and I don't know what made me think it was a better band I just somehow knew I think so I left the Telstars and joined the Hurricanes the Hurricanes had more jobs I guess that's how I knew they were a better band they were booking more and earning more that's right they were actually playing proper jobs and they had a few vocalists hanging around the Hurricanes too there was John Perry and Maria Van Zyl and John Bradshaw all these solo vocalists that had no band yeah they'd, they'd hang around a band you know because they'd get a backing and then the Beatles hit. And the whole world changed. It, it did change, <laughs> you know. And I remember thinking, the Beatles, what a stupid name. But you could tell something was happening. Mm. Of course, in June 64, when the Beatles came, that's when it changed forever. Yeah. Just as it did in 56, when Bill Haley came to Adelaide. People started to say, well, we like this new sort of music. Who can play it? We adapted and started doing Beatles stuff. Up at uh, Elizabeth, there was a vocal group called the Twilights. Our paths were going to cross. And they crossed at the Beatles Soundalike competition at the Palais Royal. The Hurricanes entered. We sang A Little Child. And the Twilights entered and sang Please Mr Postman. They won it. I think the Hurricanes came second. The Twilights were backed by the Vector Men, also from Elizabeth. We got a call not long afterward. Were we interested in backing the Twilights 3? We must have known something because we said, yes, of course. We backed the Twilights 3 and we worked the Oxford Club and the Salisbury Youth Centre. And we got on so well and our voices blended beautifully. And somebody said, why don't we just call the whole lot the Twilights? Yeah. And we did. And that's how the Twilights became a six-piece. And the rest is history. So they say. (laughs) 
and good old Terry Britton came to be in the Twilights because Kevin Peake, who was the Hurricanes guitarist, one day came to rehearsal and brought Terry with him, announcing that he was leaving to join John E. Broom in the Handels and Terry was going to be his replacement. Simple as that. Some knew of Terry from his days playing at the Finsbury Migrant Hostel and he slotted in perfectly. And this all happened not long after the Twilights and the Hurricanes merged. The yeah. lineup in the Hurricanes was myself, Kevin Peake, Peter Brideoak, and Frank Barnard on drums. The Twilights was Glenn Shorrock, Paddy McCartney, Mike Sykes. Sometimes they had a fourth vocalist, Billy Somebody or Other, or a Chris Pettifor to make up a bass voice. When we amalgamated, Mike Sykes dropped out yep. against his wishes. I might say. Glenn said, oh, you know, I'll tell Mike that he's not wanted, you know. He said it was the hardest thing he had to do in his entire life, life yeah. was tell Mike he wasn't wanted, you know. Mm. To this date, of sort of mended. It's okay. Oh, good. It's okay. <laughs> uh, Mike became very high up in the Air Force. I've spoken to him recently. He's cool. You married really early, wife Valerie, and then you yes. guys did the big move... With the Twilights, late 65, early 66, with a brand new baby to Melbourne? Absolutely, six months old, Colleen was. That's a gutsy move, and I can't understand it even today, how we would (laughs) contemplate such a thing. Yeah, We had no plan. Everything we did was just serendipitous. The fact I was married didn't seem to enter into it. The fact I had a baby didn't seem. I guess we didn't value our jobs very much because Glenn was a draftsman for the Salisbury Council. Paddy worked for Canberra TV fixing televisions. Peter was a student. Kevin Pete, he was a student, I think. Frank Bernard worked for Sport Co. Sporting Goods. Yeah, how did it come to just chuck your job in, you know? Actually, it was a gradual thing. We didn't give our job up straight away. We were invited to play in Melbourne. We'd go over on a Friday night on a Pioneer bus. Right. Play in Melbourne, come back Sunday night, bright and early for work on a Monday. We did that three or four times before Gary Spry, the guy who was taking us to Melbourne, said, why don't you guys consider coming to Melbourne Mm. full time? Do you think it's the naivety of youth? Very much so. Very <laughs> the much innocence so. and bravado of one so young. <laughs> Absolutely. In the times that we went to Melbourne to play, we could see what the scene was like. We knew it was a different scene to Adelaide. There was more gigs around. We only ever played, I think, at Pinocchio's nightclub. You could tell by the reaction we got that there was more To be had. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it was a pretty bold move, you know, but we did it. Talking about Gary Spry, who managed you, your biggest national chart success came with your dynamic cover of the... Velvetlets. That's right. Needle in a Haystack in 66. Now, you guys weren't keen on that song, but he insisted, and it made the top 10 in every state of Australia. Yeah. We were on a boat going to England at that time. We were sailing out of Brisbane, and we got a telegram. (laughs) saying, number one in Australia with Needle in a Haystack. You see, we didn't know. We just sort of recorded it, played it, put our spin to it. We'd had a few records out before that. We had recorded an album that wasn't released until Christmas. It was released while we were in England, actually. Were you on a boat to England because you won the Holy Battle of the Sounds? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we won the inaugural one, the first one. The very first one. The very first one. And yeah. the prize was a Sitmar cruise to the UK. $1,000, trip to UK and one gig. Did I say a recording contract as well? Yeah, a recording contract, oh. which we already had with EMI. That yeah. was our label. And we were met at the um, docks in Southampton by the EMI rep. I can even remember his name, Roy Squires. We went up to London by train. Anyway, we contacted the great organisation who were supposed to be giving us the gig, and we said, we're the Twilights from Australia. And they said, who? Oh, no. 
Would you believe they knew nothing about it? And it wasn't until one of the directors, a guy called Nat Berlin, the cousin of Irving Berlin, the composer, Mm. took pity on us and got us some gigs. One of those gigs was at the cavern in Liverpool. We hired a van and went up and played the Saturday evening with a few other bands and they liked us so they asked us to play on the Sunday afternoon, which we did. We did another gig for one of the English newspapers. We played at a few clubs, played at the Cromwellian, Tiles... Blazers was another one. But we were taking Coles to Newcastle. We were playing oh, Beatles yeah, songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, there's that naivety. <laughs> because the Beatles were in their own backyard, they weren't the big deal to them as they were to us, you know. That's right. I mean, they were huge. Of course they were huge. Yeah. But everybody took it for granted. And by 1966, the Beatles had been around for so long. They'd been around for three-odd years in England. And there's us playing Beatles songs. Yeah. I think we would have been better off going to America, but that really wasn't on the table. Everybody went to the UK, really, didn't they, at that time? Had to go to the UK. Yeah. Had to go to the mother country. You had the opportunity to record at the Historical Abbey Road Studios. Yes. Did three tracks there. What's Wrong with the Way I Live, Young Girl, and 950. I think we might play one of those right now. Well, why don't you? Yeah. (laughs) Back with more John Bywater straight after this. Young Girl from the Oceanic Odyssey album. You're with Shirley, that radio chick. We're chatting to John Bywaters from the Twilight. (laughs) We're back. (laughs) You guys, based on the success of the Monkeys TV series and the Beatles' Hard Day's Night film, had a series called Once Upon a Twilight. Yes, that's right. We were asked if we wanted to do a pilot for a TV show. It didn't have a name at that time. And we were just sitting around in the office of the film company, Saga Films, and they were saying, what can we call it? And I piped up. What about Once Upon a Twilight? And that's how that name came mm-hmm. to be. The director, Brian Kavanagh, when he was shooting it, and we'd say, oh, that's like the monkeys. And he'd say, who? What? He'd never watched them. Uh-huh. So it was entirely him thinking of sort of zany things to yeah. do. Just so happened that the storyline was a group. A bit similar, that yeah. lived together. Yeah. It's a pity it didn't take off. It was an interesting concept. You had, as your co-star, comedian Mary Hardy, but also... My husband's cousin, Ronnie Burns. He played the part of Alphonse. Yeah. From Gumnut Gully. <laughs> you can actually buy it at JB Hi-Fi. Victor Marshall, our good friend, gave me a copy the other day. It only goes for 23 minutes. I've got a copy right here. That's exactly it. And that photo was taken for a Rice Crinkles breakfast cereal. <laughs> Our photo was on the back of the packet, and that was the photo. Look how young you all are. Oh, you've got to grab it. Once Upon a Twilight. Yeah. This is actually a prize that's been donated for our support act. Oh, some didn't want it. Raffle. So they donated for a prize. <laughs> oh, it's come to this, has it? <laughs> John has been involved in Support Act South Australia for how long, John? Oh, not long after it came into being in Adelaide. I've only been with you for two years. That's right. (laughs) Third Thursday of every month. Support, Support Act. Yeah, we need support. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a very good cause. It looks after down and out people from the industry. It's a nationwide organisation. We have our monthly lunch to raise funds, which we then send to Sydney. It's to do a lot of good for um, people that might have problems with not able to pay their rent or their instrument gets stolen or something. You just make an application entirely confidential you might get a bit of a hand see you through it's not just for artists and performers is it it's for roadies and lighting tech and sound guys anyone in the industry absolutely yeah come on down you might win a once upon a twilight dvd (laughs) 
in the raffle. Yeah. Go with Shirley, that radio chick. We are talking to John Bywaters from the Twilights. Let's have another song now. Bad Boy. We'll be back with John straight after this. Bad little kid into my neighborhood. You've got a pretty long history. You've mentioned the hurricanes, which sort of morphed into the twilight. It, it, yeah. And then for a bit, you were with John Vincent's Ken Oath Orchestra. Yeah. Oh, that was fantastic. You know, very funny guy. I must have played on, I don't know two or three or four albums with Vinny. It was always a laugh. What a character he was. Absolutely, and we miss him dearly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Five-Sided Circle? At the moment, but of course, being mm. in lockdown, Five-Sided Circle has nowhere to play because we only played once a month at the Astor, and the Astor hasn't gone back to having bands yet. You're so, just in hiatus. That's right. But yeah. you'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. And were you one of the original members with Five-Sided? No, no. I wasn't. You're a ring-in. I'm a, a ring-in. <laughs> I think the original bass player was John Arbon. Then Ron Cosmida joined. So I took Ronnie's place about 18 months ago, I suppose. Okay. So you played with Insect in the 70s? Frank Sebastian. But it was called the Frank Sebastian Entertainment Review. It wasn't called Insect. Uh-huh. Frank likes to call it Insect. <laughs> yeah. But I guess to him it's the same band, you yeah. know. Did you know that he used to be my boss? Did he? Where? Yeah. He had a venue in Hindley Street called Downtown yes. Leisure Centre. Yes. Yep. And I was a skate marshal. Was you? Picking up all the little kids that fell over. Telling all the big kids to slow down <laughs> and stop knocking over the little kids. My daughter, Colleen, worked there for a while. I don't know what she did. We might have even been work colleagues. You might have been. Yeah, it was a bit of a legend, that place, wasn't it? It was. I remember the midnight to dawn lock-ins. Parents used to just drop their kids off. Of course they did. midnight. And drop them and run. Yeah. <laughs> Come and get them at six o'clock yeah. in the morning. Those fr- were the days. And Frank used to get the staff in when he'd pay them and he'd say, you need a haircut. And he used to have all these rules, didn't he? <laughs> Hard taskmaster. I wonder if he knew that we used to take it in turns going into the change room and having a sleep during those midnight <laughs> to dawns. Your turn. Go have a little nap. <laughs> Probably not. No. <laughs> Another band, Honest John. Yes, that was a very early band. When the Twilights broke up in January of 69, I stayed in Melbourne for a year working for a company called Strauss who made amplifiers. My wife was terribly homesick, terribly, terribly. We came home one Christmas and Frank Bernard, who was the first drummer in the Hurricanes, he was playing in a band in Adelaide called The Formula at Redlegs Club. And he said, we're looking for a bass player. Are you interested? And before I had a chance to answer, <laughs> my wife said, yes, he'll take it. <laughs> Bless her. Good honour. Yeah. So we went back to Melbourne, packed up, gave notice at my job with Strauss and headed back to Adelaide. I was working with Formula and we were doing four nights a week at the Red Legs Club because that was the place to be, you know. So you came back to Adelaide and you've been here ever since? Yes. And you're playing with the Rustlers? Yeah, well, the funny thing about the Rustlers, I was just asked if I'd fill in for Derek Manning while he was sick. And I said, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Well, unfortunately, Derek never got better, you know, so I'm there by default. Not a very nice way to get a gig. But unfortunately, it's happening more and more. Mm. I got a gig on an ocean liner with Peter Tilbrook because Brian Davidge passed away. As we get older, more of our contemporaries are falling off the perch, you know. John, in 2014, you were the very first inductee into the SA Music Hall of Fame. 
True. Congratulations. Thank you. Peter Tilbrook was number two. Trendsetters? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who rang me? Was it Daisy rang me? Yeah, Daisy rang me. He said, do you mind if we induct you in the Hall of Fame? And I said, why me? You know, and he just says, because you've been nominated. And I said, by who? Well, he wouldn't or couldn't tell me, you know. I said, but there's other people before me that should be inducted. Very well deserved. I don't consider I've done anything extraordinary. I just do what I do. Keep on keeping on. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's an honour. It's a real honour, of course, you know, to be judged by your peers. And I still to this day don't know who in the hell put me up, you because know, ah. you, you have to nominate. People nominate and then a peer group panel sits around. But of course, there was no peer group panel in those days because I was the first. Yeah, yeah. So it was just a committee of a few people, you know, Daisy and his wife. Enrico? Yes, I think so. But it's great that people know who you are and you're not forgotten and you're appreciated. Sort of a strange feeling, you know. We love having you playing around our town and hopefully we'll have you playing around our town for many more years to come. Yeah, well, I'm not planning on going anywhere. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming in and sharing some of your stories with us today, John. Thank well, you're you. you're lucky I can remember them. <laughs> I was actually thinking that. You had such amazing recall. I couldn't remember all those names and places and dates. What names and places and dates? <laughs> what was my name <laughs> yeah, again? Yeah. Who are you? Where am I? <laughs> Where do I live? <laughs> I've got to keep the wheels greased. Otherwise, you know, I've seen what happens to some of my friends. You know, they cannot remember what they've done in the past. Some of the Twilights and I, we get together. Uh, well, I was with Glenn two weekends ago at Port Douglas. And uh, I remember a lot more than what he does. Yeah. I'm just blessed that I can remember a lot of this trivia. There's a lot to be said for playing an instrument and keeping your brain young. Yes. Well, we didn't talk about the Chicago show band which I'm in. My wife's in as well. She plays flute. I joined the Chicago show band because it's a reading gig. You read the dots. There's no chords for me to follow. Ah. It's a proper musical thing. That's something that I must keep up to keep my mind active because if you sort of stop and just withdraw into yourself, it's going to end in tears, isn't it? Absolutely. Not only does it keep your brain active, but the whole socialisation thing, like loneliness is more detrimental to your health than smoking. Staying connected to your community, getting out and about and socialising. Music and dancing and playing an instrument, it's like the double whammy. Yeah, and the Chicago show band, we do pageants, libraries, nursing homes. We play Government House about a month ago to the mm. Governor's Open Day on the lawns there. The band does it usually every year. A fabulous day, you know, and that's not too bad to put on your resume, is it? No, that's pretty good. If someone wanted to hire, the, do they go to your website, chicagoshowband.com.au? Yep. So get onto the Googleometer and track them down. And there's a Facebook page too, Chicago Show Band. When we finally work our way through this whole COVID situation, keep your eyes open for gigs with the Five Sided Circle. And yes. the Rustlers? Yes. Anyone else? I play a fair bit with Peter Tilbrook because he's lost Davo, mm. Brian Davidge. I'm blessed that I can actually put my hand up and do gigs all over the place. Yeah. And the high tides, don't forget. But we haven't got any gigs at the moment. We did the mm. Butte 70th birthday party down at the General Havelock just recently. And that was good to get back in the saddle. Hopefully it won't be long. We'll have everything back under control. We have a little bit of a whinge and complain. But, you know, compared to other countries, Australia, we're really blessed here. We're very, very lucky mm. and fortunate. And I think the government's doing a good job. They're looking after us quite well. Thank you, John. I look forward to seeing you at our next Support Act lunch. Yes, for sure. Wonderful cause looking after the musicians. Yeah, the music yeah. industry family, I guess. That's nice. Yeah.
John, thank you so much. All right, Cheryl Lee, my pleasure. Okay, thank you. (laughs) You're with Cheryl Lee, that radio chick. Thank you so much for joining me on the Still Rocking It podcast. Hope to catch you again next time. Get out when you can, support Aussie music, and I'll see you down the front.